welcome to another episode of the Best of All Possible Podcast. I am your host, Robert Weathers, and as you know, we here in Williamsburg, Virginia have a love for the weird. We love the unproduced and underproduced, and we sure do love 10-minute plays. And we have a brand new one for you every two weeks here on the Best of All Possible Podcast. Now, we read these as a cold read with talented actors here in the Williamsburg area. And today, we have five actors joining us, beginning with Sharon Hollins. Welcome, Sharon. Today, Sharon, we're going to read a play called Celebrity. And I, I wonder, Sharon, do you have a celebrity that you'd really like to meet? First person that comes to mind is Emma Thompson. Oh. oh Any particular reason why? Lover, always have. Uh -huh. yeah. So, yeah, she's the first one that comes to mind. Of course, there's a bunch of dead ones, but I would have rather have met them before. <laughs> Ooh, oh, I, I guess, I guess so. So, who, who, who would you like to meet that's dead and would be alive if you met them? Uh, Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Uh, uh, my, yeah, my, my dear sweet wife is fist pumping in the background. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sharon, welcome. Thank you for joining us here today. Also joining us is Liz Thomas. Hello, Yay. Liz. Nice to be here. Who's your celebrity, Liz? Who do you want to meet? Oh, gosh. Um, first person that comes to mind for me, uh, I would love to have a conversation with Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be Let's just cool. have a big dinner party. Let's do it. I think so. <laughs> not invites? It'll like be nice. Either that or the queen. I think she'd be fun to talk to. Mm, yeah. mm. You mean the current yeah, queen like queen, England? like Queen Elizabeth okay. II. <laughs> I think it'd be a very one-sided conversation, though. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, just bring up the corgis. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll both. I mean, we both seem to be dog people, so we'll both just fawn on the corgis. That's fine. It's all good. <laughs> That's good, Liz. All yeah, right. it's good. I have a plan. It's fine. Also joining us to my left here is Joe Ziarko. Hey, hey Joe. Hey, guys. Who's, who's your celebrity, Joe? I, th I feel like we've played this game before. <laughs> uh, probably. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. There you go. Oh, you're serious? Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, undisclosed reasons. You can move on to the next person. <laughs> The attractiveness of this man has nothing Ooh. to do with it, does it, Joe? <laughs> and joining us here for the first time in 2019 is Ed Whitaker. Hey, hey Ed. All right, you know the question. What's the answer? Oh, I do, but see, my first one was a dead person, too. Well, that's fine. Who is it? Jacques Cousteau. Oh. I have loved his work ever since I was a kid, so, you know, that's my guy. If, I were, if I'm going on the uh, the acting thing here, I think Ian McKellen would have. Been oh, mm -hmm. Sir Ian, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good choice, Sir Ian. Good choice. Sir Ian. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us for the first time in 2019 is Amy Lyles. Hey, Amy. Hey. Who's your celebrity, Amy? Well, to go with Sir Ian, it would be Patrick Stewart. Ah, oh, my gosh. I love him so much. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So, so much. much. Oh, How so much. much. Who's, who who would be your dead celebrity? Uh, I already had the privilege of meeting my dead celebrity, oh, and it was really? Donald O'Connor, oh. and it was the the absolute best thing I ever did with my life. He was at the Follies when I was there. I got to meet him, walk him to the stage. This is in him. California? Yes, uh -huh. yes. So I had the incredible pleasure of geeking out over Donald O'Connor. Awesome. Who's well, yours, Robert? Oh, who's mine? Well, yeah. I, was, I, I wasn't going to ask myself. Um, my, <laughs> my, my dead celebrity, uh, I'll stay with the theater theme. It's probably Samuel Beckett. Um, yeah, I love Samuel Beckett. And um, my live celebrity, oh man, I didn't prepare an answer for that. Uh, my live celebrity, probably Kathy Bates. Ooh. I really like her. She'd be fun. Yeah. 
So there you go, listener. All right. Way more, so. way more than your. What did you say? My wife is talking. <laughs> oh, who was your guess? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Ooh, I like him too. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, can see I like you him too. Yeah. Although I hear he's kind of a jerk. Uh, if, you listen, if you're listening to this, Lies. Neil deGrasse Tyson, that's just what I've heard. Anyway, so speaking of celebrities, we're going to read a play today called Celebrity, Yay. written by Cat Meads. Now, there are five characters in the Dramatis Personae, so I'm going to assign characters now. Again, as I said earlier, this is a cold read. The actors have not laid eyes upon this script before, and so you're going to get their honest impressions now. So, Ed, if you would be so kind as to play host slash Carney Barker. Alrighty. He's male, drab appearance, exceptionally resonant voice. Well then. There it is. <laughs> Joe, if you would be so kind as to read Heckler, also male, he's stationed anywhere in the audience. Oh, this sounds like a perfect role for me. Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, let's see here. Um, Sharon, if you would be so kind as to read Emily D. She's petite, pale, and dressed entirely in white. And Liz, if you would be so kind as to read Emily B. Tall, thin, dark dress with leg of mutton sleeves, mud on nose, and boots. Absolutely. <laughs> and Amy, if you would be so kind as to read Woman in Second Row. Absolutely. She doesn't have a description, so go wild. Excellent. <laughs> I will read the stage directions. And so, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, we present to you Celebrity by Cat Meads. The setting. The stage as a stage. Two oversized portraits of, of the authors. There's a podium, table, and two chairs, and two glasses of water. It lights up on an empty stage. The host enters stage right, crosses to stage left, waves, grins at the non-existent applause. Good evening, good evening, and welcome everyone to this extraordinary, momentous, once-in-a-lifetime event. For here, tonight, on this stage, together, in the flesh, as never before and never again, the uber-reclusive Emily Dickinson of Amherst and equally standoffish Emily Bronte of Haworth will unite to reveal the most intimate details of their supremely cloistered lives. Love. Work, strife, ambition, and who knows what all. The possibilities are endless. Only if they show up. <laughs> Rest assured, each party's representative has accepted our terms of appearance and sworn under threat of legal reprimand that his client will indeed show up and answer questions. I do bear in mind, however, that the guidelines for discussion you received at the door serve as a suggestions sheet only. The Emilies have been informed they need not confine their remarks to the guideline topic. So why hand out the list? Heckler noisily rips guideline sheet in two and drops the pieces. Are you as mad, mad, mad with anticipation as I? Does the very prospect of sharing the same ether with such magnificent, legendary beings make it difficult to hold your water? The curtain behind, or the, or the back of the stage begins to balloon. My friends! <laughs> Is the time finally at hand? Are the Emilies already in-house? Are we literally on the verge? Did you catch that? Literally on the verge of... Go on, then. There's a white shoe visible beneath the curtain. Yes! Yes! Be still, my thumping heart. Emily D. timidly enters the sta inner stage left, head down. Our inaugural glimpse of the maid of Amherst. Virginal white dress, 
red hair, smattering of freckles, exquisitely neat, tidy, and petite. A step so light we scarcely record her progress. Emily D. pivots suddenly and exits. Miss Dickinson! Miss Dickinson! <clears throat> Miss Dickinson, come back! Come back! Oh, do please! We beg you! Emily D. returns. Her Newfoundland is rolling behind her. Oh, ha, ha, ha. I didn't realize. <clears throat> but what an unexpected treat! Celebrity pets! How delightful! Welcome, Miss Dickinson. Welcome to you and your canine. He's applauding loudly. At such vulgarity, Emily D. averts her face, raises her hand to her cheek as if slapped, scurries to her seat, and directs her gaze staged right. There's one. Where's the other? As if responding to an insult, leading with her chin, Emily B. enters, stage right, dragging recalcitrant keeper with her. Joining us now, the statuesque Miss Bronte, who, it must be said, is less careful in her toilette than Miss Dickinson. Those limp petticoats. Those muddy boots. As Emily B. takes her seat, Emily D. dips sideways in reverential swoon. Emily B. snaps her fingers and forces Keeper flat. Forgive me if I seem frightened. I, I never see strangers and hardly know what to say. It is not absolutely necessary to speak. With Charlotte in Brussels, I sat in drawing room after drawing room and made not a sound. A constant interchange wastes thought and feeling, and then we are obliged to repair and renew. There is nothing cowardly in retreat. We have now heard their voices. We can now boast to anyone we have seen and heard the Emilies. Their tete-a-tete interrupted. Both authors fall silent. Emily D's silence is resigned. Emily B's is sullen. There's a beat. Emily B tears a sprig of heather from her hair. Emily D recommences trembling. Affected. The Emilies affect not to hear. The host flaps his guidelines sheet at them until, with extreme distaste, both pick up copies from the same table and begin to read. The questions put before Mrs. Bronte and Dickinson represent a compilation of need-to-know demands from scholars, readers, and fans. To wit, the effect of living in houses that overlook graveyards, the consequence of fathers who shut themselves in their studies, who dine alone in their rooms, justify the staunch defense of drunkard brother Branwell, of adulterous brother Austin. Define eccentric. Favorite recipe? Whose handwriting is tinier? Which of you is the better mimic? Publication. Why, why not? Why no Civil War poems? Why no Industrial Revolutionary poems? Least favorite domestic chore? Your opinion of relatives who tamper with an artist's work post-mortem. Emily B. hands her list to Keeper to chew. Emily D. pushes hers to the edge of the table as if fearing uh, cont contagion. Ladies, don't leave us hanging. My brother has been ill-used by life. What fortitude the soul contains, that it can so endure. I shall never renounce my brother. Never. The heart what wants what it wants. I collect flowers. To Mr. Higginson I offered lilies. As everyone knows, I walk the moors. On occasion, I cross the garden to Austin's house. I have been called eccentric. The authors revert to speaking only to each other. My father called himself eccentric in a letter to Mrs. Gaskell. 
I am, of course, my father's child. My sister-in-law is an exceptional hostess. Charlotte would so love to be. It's not as if we hide from our families. Our family see us daily. My valentines first exposed me. It is Charlotte who refuses to write in secret. Boring. Tell us something we don't know. Emily B.'s face turns stony. She offers her glass of water to keep her. Uh, Emily D. bows her head. Sounds of audience exodus. Mrs. Dickinson and Bronte, please remember the audience has paid a stiff price to... Both uh, dogs growl viciously. A host skitters to the corner of the podium. My wars are laid away in books. I can simultaneously sweep the kitchen and dream of Gonbo. My black cake is much sought after. Also my gingerbread. I peel apples for Charlotte. Potatoes for Tabby. I shall never teach again. I've asked Vinny to destroy my letters to the world. Charlotte will assume she knows best. Charlotte does not heed requests. Losing patience. <laughs> my father's heart is pure and terrible. He cannot abide loquacious women. My mother went first to her grave. My father, I predict, will see all his children buried. My master will be forever misidentified. Heathcliff will forever be maligned. Okay, oh, okay, that's ripped it for me. Pushing toward the aisle and crawling over legs. Toodles. A most odd turn of events. Why are the genuine articles so unprepossessing? Why do they deliver their comments so flatly? Why, in person, do these legends appear so utterly unremarkable? The Emilies sit silent. Motionless. Someone in the audience sneezes. Woman in the second row abruptly stands, tries in conflicted, stop-and-go fashion to attract the host's attention. You! Miss! Or is it Mrs.? You have a question? Uh, I do. I have a question. From the guidelines sheet? No. From, from my head. Interest peaked for the first time, Emily B. and Emily D. look directly at the woman in the second row, who cannot bring herself to look at them. As if this late addition will save the evening, host also perks up. Oh, then proceed! By all means, proceed. I, I would like to ask, to hear if possible, from Miss Bronte and Miss Dickinson. What, what, what exactly would you like to hear? On the spot, woman in the second row twists, turns, a fast-paced pantomime of the Emily's Spotlight miniseries. I'd like to know... Out with it, woman! What story about themselves they'd prefer suppressed? In striking contrast to their usual mode, both authors eagerly answer. Inviting a visitor to choose between wine and a rose. The dog beating. The violence of that episode was greatly exaggerated. Is that all? Well, um, <clears throat> would each of you maybe recite a poem? Not an entire poem. Surely you don't mean an entire poem? Ooh, maybe just a couple of lines? Emily D. puts a hand to her cheek. Emily B. viciously bites her lip. They look at each other. Sigh. Without the least inflection, each in turn recites. The night is darkening round me. The wild winds coldly blow. But a tyrant's spell has bound me, and I cannot, cannot go. Sounds of the audience hissing. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. 
the carriage held by just ourselves, an immortality. The audience is outright booing. We call that a performance? Your dogs are more entertaining. Agreeing with the heckler, host forlornly shakes his head and exits. Contractually obligated, the Emilies, with dogs, remain on stage. They do not move. They do not speak. An excruciating nothing happens for several prolonged beats. Blackout. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think that this is so delightfully weird. <laughs> awesome. So now we're going to enter into the portion of the program where we talk about the play that we just read. We'll have a brief discussion here. And uh, I want to start, Sharon, with you. What are your first impressions about the play that we just read? Uh, I wanted a little more. Okay. Uh, can you give us a little more? What you mean? <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it, it just sort of ended more abruptly than I had anticipated. And mm -hmm. I wanted there to be a little bit more. Can I say real quick that I have to admit that I don't think I get this play. Mm. Um, I, I like it, but I, you know, as I say in the beginning of every one of these episodes, we have a love for the weird. What I really mean is I love weird stuff. And so I like it because of its format. And I, but I don't really know much about Emily Bronte and Emily Dickinson anyway. So I'm sure that there are references. I, I'm in it, not but sure. I'm not I mean, it's been a long time, but uh, growing up in New England, I definitely got Emily Dickinson mm -hmm. to death. Uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, I don't know that she'd be the person you'd want to have to dinner. I, I don't. I don't remember that about her. I remember seeming very. I mean, you know, I agree with that. Introverted is one thing, but she took it to a whole new level. Sure, Amy. Yeah, no, I, I again, I, I think most acting students did, read at least an excerpt of the Bell of Amherst yeah. as part of an acting exercise because I think mm -hmm. every human being did, and even reading that where she's somewhat more delightful. I always thought to myself, I really wouldn't want to bring her into my house pretty much ever. <laughs> the only thing I really remember is singing her poems to the tune of the Yellow Rose of Texas. We did that too. Oh. Yeah. They, all, they fit pretty much all of them. That's not the Yellow Rose of Texas. That's not Yellow Rose? <laughs> I, I thought that was Yellow Rose. Is, is it copyrighted? <laughs> Do we need to cut that? Right, right, right. <laughs> Ixnay on the Yellow <laughs> Rose. Burn! <Okay. laughs> <laughs> That's the Yosemite Sam song, Ed. <laughs> Ed, what are your first impressions well, of the play? I, well, first of all, in kind of in reaction to you know what both you and Sharon and, and well all three of you are saying so far, I I think what the author is going for here is setting up the idea that women are largely ignored. There's lots of expected out, out of them that is not their true nature, and I think the author are very. It seems to me she chose these two authors. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of well, partly because of what you were just saying about them, that you know Emily Dickinson might not be somebody who you want to go for dinner. But why is that? Is it because of her prose? Is it because of her reclusiveness? Emily Bronte has, is a very different personality, but because they were women. So I, what I, I agree with Sharon that I, I want more in this. I would have liked mm -hmm. to have seen more the woman in the second row who I assume is making an attempt to make the point that women just don't want to be heard from. And then that, you know, in a dominant society, we want to hear celebrity. We want to hear sensationalism we want to uh -huh. you know all that kind of stuff do we really want to hear the real people 
And so I think that's the point that the play might Even be. Even though that it's it. necessarily women, it, it could yeah. just be celebrity. Could uh-huh. be. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes meeting your celebrity doesn't necessarily measure up to what you expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Fair point. To be, to be sure. And Joe? I, I think that's uh, you know reiterated in, in this with the choice of the individuals specifically. It really is hit home, if not even just by the carnal, the Carney Barker at the beginning, how he's selling it as big as it right. is. And it's this huge thing. And clearly there, there's a crowd uh there that that want thinks they want it but then once they're presented with it quickly turn right mm-hmm. um and and again if we have that mirror held up to society what's this 19th century heckler if not you know the internet troll of a bygone well, there is that. Yeah, i mean right. there we right. see that all around us that people want celebrity but some people want it just to knock it down a peg mm-hmm. yeah. any first thoughts liz well actually um I, I, my first thought is that I really enjoyed it and I'd love, I would love to see more of it because I think that I would like to just see more of the play and, um, I, I've just really enjoyed it, but I'm wondering if going off of actually what all of us have said and forgive me cause my knowledge of these two authors are, mm-hmm. well, it, well, actually it is a bit limited, but I'm wondering if the Brontes didn't, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they have success initially by publishing under a male pseudonym yes, they right. did exactly so i mean it's it's interesting too that and i thought that they actually had some initial success when it was published that wuthering heights jane Eyre, i mean jane Eyre was thought to be somewhat revolutionary and such um particularly with the other popular literature that was going around at the time but that their their works actually had initial success is that partially because they were, would it have been affected if they'd actually published under their name as Emily or Charlotte mm-hmm. did publishing under a male pseudonym? I mean, the choice to publish under a male pseudonym, why that was made, mm-hmm. I think could be something that I would love to see explored in this piece. Um, if, if the playwright so chooses, books. well, yeah. well, um, I mean, that's interesting though, because you have um, what nearly a century before Fanny Burney, uh, although she does keeps um, and Fanny Burney, for some of you who may not know, uh, yes, Google is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Fanny Burney, um, uh, Google is also a wonderful thing, too. But uh, Fanny Burney is, to put it succinctly, she's involved and in, she's the daughter of a court composer during the uh, George the Third or George the Second or both of them, actually. But she's a part of the court of George the Third. Uh, which if you don't know George the Third, listen to Hamilton. There you go. Um, and. Uh, also, she publishes, and she's actually one of her first fans is Jane Austen. And her novel, Evelina, Fanny Burney's novel, Evelina, is said to actually be somewhat of a uh, influence, perhaps, on Pride and Prejudice, with there's a similar hero, Mr. Orville. But anyways, so this idea of uh, women writing, but Fanny Burney as well, she wanted to keep a certain anonymity. And that may also have been um, her own choice, like perhaps Emily Dickinson, but I do wonder if that's a choice for what they truly want or if it's a choice for their security because of what society wants from them. Sure, right. And again, that goes back to the idea of male pseudonyms. And I, I would love to see more of this play. And I think that that might be, again, something interesting if, if the uh, playwright wants to further develop this, the idea of male pseudonyms. Do you think that the... Uh, I'm sorry, Joe. Uh, go ahead. No, no, I had a question for you. But Okay, I was, I was, I was just going to ask if you think that the... The dogs are representative of that need of security? Or what what are the purpose of the dogs here? Actually, what I wanted to bring up because and ask you, you had uh, a little omission there at the beginning 
uh, the description of the dogs. And yeah. we know how yeah. much you love absurd things. So the fact that you missed this, I, I think, is one of the reasons oh. that... You're right, I did. It's you're, telling. You're, you're right, I did. I'm sorry. I, for, I forgot to say it. Joe, why don't you read it? Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's truly getting at all along. Cardboard cutouts on wheels. Emily B.'s mongrel keeper and Emily D.'s Newfoundland. Just the idea that, you know, they're pulling little they're cardboard, pulling cutouts, cardboard cutouts is is also pushing this a little bit more towards the absurdist than yeah, um, definitely. a straightforward production. Because even, you know, then you're asking that question. Is this, are they representative of real dogs or are the two Emily's bringing these cardboard yeah. cutouts and it brings some other questions into Got it? Got any thoughts about that? Are the dogs actually real? Well, it doesn't matter if they're real or not, I think. What, what do they represent, though? That's an interesting question. I wonder if that has to do with, again, in some way, conformity, obedience, expectation. We expect... Obedience. You know, what, what, the, well, obedience. Yeah. And what do we expect from our celebrities? We want them to fit a certain mold. We expect mm -hmm. that of dogs. The same thing. I, I may be twisting this completely out of Maybe. Mind. I don't know. I mean, you know. <laughs> Social worker. Comes to me. You know, well, that's what comes to me in, the, in that so, piece of it. So, you know, Sharon? I'm sitting here and I've got... Google uh, is my friend in front of me, and apparently uh, Emily Dickinson did have a dog, a, a Newfoundland well, named Carlo. Okay, uh, they both had dogs. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, that's just part of their personality. Well, I mean, that's the yeah. thing too. I mean, I'm over here going, "Oh, puppies." I mean, if you have you seen a Newfoundland though, it's a, huge it's dog. a huge big old dog. dog. I would yeah, think big. she would think that as her protector, yeah. knowing her. But I mean, going back to this do. kind of idea of what we want them to conform to, it's like even these big snarling dogs. I'm like, oh, it's a puppy. It's like, don't get too close. I'm like, no, but it's a puppy. It's like, yeah, it'll bite your hand off. So I mean, it's just. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my initial reaction is to, oh, it's so cute, and, here, and it's here's a quote yeah. that's attributed to Emily Dickinson uh, from Goodreads: "Dogs are better than human beings because they do not know they they know but do not tell." Ah, so ooh. wow. Excellent. All right. Well, on that, I want to make sure that we thank Kat Meads for her awesome play, Yay! Celebrity. Thank you. thank you to Sharon Hollins, Ed Whitaker, Amy Lyles, Josie Arco, and Liz Thomas, and of course, our awesome sound techs who will not be named. Thank you for everything you do for us. I am your host, Robert Weathers. If you want to get a brand new 10 minute play every two weeks in 2019, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and you can follow us on. Best of All Possible podcasts on Facebook. And if you're interested in what we're doing at Panglossian Productions here in Williamsburg, Virginia, make sure you visit www.panglossian.org. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey! hey.